0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. This program is presented in honor of my mother, Lillian Brown Vogel, whose vivacious 39,549 days finally caught up with her on December 29, 2017. She died at her home here in Ukiah, California, surrounded by her family at the age of 108, Smiling until she closed her eyes for the last time, she cherished her well-lived life, as do I. I dedicate this program to everyone who seeks to lead a long, active, and happy life. My mother played the piano almost daily for 104 years. She voted in every election since 1930, declaring herself a feminist from some of her earliest days. In 1930, she began medical school. She earned a master's degree in 1933 and a PhD in 1961 when she was 51 years old, both in psychology. She worked as a clinical psychologist, retiring in 2005 at the age of 96. In response to many queries about the secret of her long life, she published her memoir, What's My Secret? 100 Years of Memories and Reflections on Her 100th Birthday in 2009. My mother was driven by her curiosity and her joy of life. She was able to get to the heart of most any matter with a few simple questions, and then always wanted to know more. This interview, originally recorded on Halloween 2009, was poetically updated by her, as you'll hear, on September 9th, 2014, and begins when I asked her, Mother dear, what makes you so curious?
1: Well... It's just that I've always been interested in people. I wondered if they had the same kind of questions in their mind that I had in mine. I was just curious.
0: Just about a half a century ago, you received a Ph.D. in psychology. Before then and since then, you've had a fairly extensive experience in observing people and talking to people. What answers have you learned to your wonderment about do other people have the same questions as you
1: I think they probably do I think that they too wonder what their life is about and what they can do with their lives to make it better they would come to me in a professional way because they were unhappy and my job would be to help them become aware of the fact that they could be happier that there are many ways in life that one can become happy.
0: So in doing your job, if there's a generic question or questions, what would those questions be that you would ask the people who come to you?
1: Do you ever look at yourself as to help yourself determine what do you do that contributes to these feelings of discomfort that you have? Is it always the other person, or is there something within you that you would like to understand, and apparently you don't, that's why you're here, for to discuss with me, what can I do to help you?
0: In your book, What's My Secret, I know that working with you since before you began working on this project, you said that people asked you, what's your secret? So the answer is in your book, What's My Secret? Do you deal with the issues and the questions that you just posed to your patients and clients who have come to visit with you over the years in answering What's My Secret?
1: I don't think I did specifically in that way. I wasn't always as old as I am now. And when I was young, I wasn't asked that question. So the answer, what is your secret? I would say it involves many factors. Dealing with the psychological, I think that I have utilized what I've read about and thought about and become aware of the power within me as well as within other individuals to direct my thinking in ways that will help me overcome stress, which I've encountered in various ways throughout my life.
0: When you say the power that is within each of us, tell us about that power.
1: That power is an ability to control our thinking. When we feel depressed, there are hormones created in the brain which somehow travel down into the digestive area which eventually gets to the circulatory system and other parts of the body. It originates in the brain It originates in the way one thinks I believe that we have the power within limits to direct this thinking to direct the quality of the thinking
0: you're aware of that I'm aware of that perhaps by osmosis and the good fortune of having been your son for many years but how can other people become aware of that power that we each carry within us that's a good question
1: I don't know that I can give a specific answer to anyone else. But I can write as I have written uh, what's happened to me in my life. And in stressful situations that I have encountered and that I have somehow learned to deal with. Now where did I learn it? I probably learned it through books that I read, through courses that I took. and applied this to my own life experience. So how can this help others?
0: Well, my question is, how can you phrase it or ask it so that other people can become aware of this ability? Positive psychology, as I've heard you call it.
1: I can explain to them that they have this power, that they can direct their thinking. When you're feeling very depressed, and often when people feel depressed, they lay it upon others, others, "You've done this to me." And by thinking it through, you can say, "Well, perhaps someone else did contribute to your feeling of your negative feelings." But it's how you accept these negative feelings, how you interpret it. ...that you have the power of doing this.
0: Can you give us some examples? Well? Your life, the lives of others that you know about?
1: Well, in the lives of others it would be a more complete life history... ...which we don't want to go into now. In thinking of myself, there's an incident that I describe in the book... ...of when we had been in a hotel in San Francisco... And coming home, I discovered that I had lost my earpiece, which is very helpful to me at this period in my life. And I began hunting in the car and in my purse and where I was sitting and so on. There was no sign of it. And I immediately began um, condemning myself for having lost this. How could I be so stupid? I ought to know better than to not check and make sure that I had my my hearing aid when we left the hotel. Well, this went on all the way home, and when I got home, I had difficulty falling asleep. In large part, it was self-condemnation that was going on, that I should know better. I should check when I leave the hotel to make sure that I have everything that I brought in with me. And then I woke up during the night and realized that this was really going to make me feel pretty bad the next day because I became aware that I had insurance that would cover a large part of the loss and so on. As it turned out, this hearing aid was found by the attendant in the hotel and mailed to us the following day. But that was incidental. What mattered was the unhappy thoughts that I had, and the self-condemnation that I was experiencing during this episode. And when I woke during the night and realized that this was really pretty stupid, because all this self-condemnation was getting me nowhere, it almost seemed like I had a turnabout. And I decided, okay, well, there is insurance, that's what it's for, and so on. And the thoughts became more positive. And this feeling of condemning myself for being so stupid and careless kind of faded away.
0: I remember another episode in your life before you moved to Ukiah. In your office building in Encino, part of Los Angeles, there was somebody who I think was in the process of committing a robbery of you and other people. And there's a story that you told me that I hope you can retell now about how you turned your ring around on your finger.
1: That was an incident of a meeting. We were in a building in Los Angeles carrying on whatever the business of the meeting was. And suddenly the door opened and there were two young men that came in and asked everyone there to empty their pockets and empty their purse, which everyone did and threw into the middle of the floor. And then one of the fellows walked around and was going to remove rings, obviously hoping he'd get a diamond. And I remember I had the ability to turn my ring around. It happened to be a diamond engagement ring. I turned it around, and when he looked at my hand this way, he could see only the part of the ring without the stone in it. As he looked at my other hand, I twisted it around and showed him again that it was blank. I haven't thought about that incident for years.
0: But that's not a personal condemnation. It's quick thinking.
1: It was quick thinking put into action. But I, obviously, I didn't want this ring to be taken. So what
0: is the suggestion that you might have for someone who's in a tight situation where they have an instant? to quickly think, to save something that's important. I remember when you told me that story, it was about staying calm in a crisis.
1: Interesting. I haven't thought of that for years. That's what I did, though.
0: Lillian Brown Vogel is the author of What's My Secret?, 100 Years of Memories and Reflections, her memoir published in 2009 on her 100th birthday when this program was originally recorded. This wonderful woman was my mother. She died on December 29, 2017. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Well, let's change gears here for a minute, Mother, and talk a little bit about some of the issues in your book and the two that I'd like you to tell us about are the two that I hear from you more frequently now. One is loneliness and one is resilience.
1: Well, I think that I've been plagued with loneliness on and off since your dad died. Because as I mentioned in the book, I had never been alone in my life before. I was alone, but there was always somebody coming home shortly. When I got married, I left my mother's house, and so I wasn't alone then, and I was 20 years old when that occurred. But more recently in my life here in Ukiah, even though most aspects of my life here has been more than favorable, there have been many moments when I'm alone, and it's something that I have been struggling with, I would say. I came across Some writing by Mary Sarton, a woman who had experienced loneliness and wrote a lot about it. And she said that loneliness is the emptiness of the soul, but solitude is an enrichment of the soul. And I put a lot of thought into that. And I have been dealing with these thoughts, I would say, on and off since I've been living in Ukiah. How do you deal with it? Well, specifically, I have many sources of activity that interest me. I play the piano. I always have a lot of reading matter around. I always have my cat, who would cuddle up and sit in my lap and so on. Maybe we could talk about
0: Rosie. Rosie, your cat, came to the end of her days just a few days ago. And I know when we were driving over here to the studio you were talking about grieving tell us about that about grieving a a lost love
1: even as you ask me that i am overcome with sadness because this little kitten i had had for almost 15 years
0: i remember you got her shortly after mortimer died that's right my father
1: and i brought her here with me to ukiah and she's always been very close. She's she's slept on my bed. She has come over and licked my hand. Or when I'm sitting on the couch, she'll come and sit on my lap and so on. I've always been attached to her. She wasn't a particularly beautiful cat, just a little ordinary black cat with half a tail. Her tail had been caught in the door when she was very young. So I've I've just been dealing with it even currently. There's more to say. I have a bowl in the bathroom that I used to fill with flowers. Just a small round bowl. And Rosie got to drinking water out of that bowl. So I decided then, well, this would be her water hole. So we always kept it filled with water and she would always come in the bathroom and get her water there. Well, Since I had disposed of her in the last week, which I did with a lot of trepidation, I refilled that bowl and found a beautiful rose outside and put a rose into the bowl. And now the last few days as I walk by, I smile when I see the rose in the water, which reminds me of all the nice little things that Rosie did for me. So I've decided that was a very constructive little act. I wasn't even aware that it was making that much of an impression on me.
0: As I remember having learned from you, maybe you can tell the story of why she was named Rosie.
1: Oh, she was named Rosie because your dad was very fond of roses. As am I. And cultivated roses. As and do that's, I. And that's why. <laughs> that's right. And that's why I named her Rosie. But just today, before I came over here, I walked past the open bathroom door, and here was this round bowl with a beautiful rose in it. And I smiled instead of feeling depressed as I had been. So that
0: comes to the other significant part in your book, What's My Secret? And that's resilience.
1: Now, I would regard my situation with Rosie in the last few days as one of stress. And stress is very wearing on the body. Resilience is being able to leave the stress here and rise above it. And I think that just this process which hit me of putting the rose into the bowl again and seeing the beauty of Rosie rather than the sadness of her in her last days and so on was helping me to become resilient because I walked by the open door and smile now hello Rosie is what I I said just this afternoon
0: and that's what you said when you would come
1: home and see her
0: in the same tone of voice that's right
1: I really hadn't connected it all together but I'm putting it together right now
0: so to a larger group going back to what we were talking about at the beginning and your curiosity about other people do they have the same concerns and questions that you do in your studies over the years do you have any suggestions about how people can become resilient at a time of stress
1: we have to think of a stressful situation that after a period of time one can direct one's thinking by saying to oneself this isn't doing any good. There may be ways that I can direct my efforts that will give me happier memories, new memories that will help me deal with this situation. So what I'm referring to is what we call cognitive thinking. I'm referring to the fact that we as each individual have the power to control our thoughts. And when one is in a period of stress, you can't immediately turn it around, but you can deal with it and begin to think of what you can do in a positive way Now, this is directing one's thinking. What can I do in a positive way that will maybe reduce the stress and unhappiness I feel now, but in a positive way help me remember the positive aspects of what occurred?
0: With the goal orientation of dispelling the unhappiness associated with the loss, before we end, Two questions. One is, is there a concept or an idea or a philosophy that you live by or that you've learned recently that you can tell us about?
1: I think it would involve several items. One of them would be dealing with stress, which I've gone into a little in greater detail. And not to feel self-condemning if you're in a stressful situation and you don't immediately get out of it. You don't have to get out of it immediately. But at any rate, when you do get out of it, there are other aspects of life that are much happier to think about. For example, um, laughter is is a very positive aspect of living. Laughter does something to all the hormones, to put it simply, all the hormones in the body. And a good laugh shakes you up your chest and your back muscles. Laughter often results in a feeling of happiness. Even by thinking about it, you can twist it around and make it laughable, make it funny. Not at anyone's expense, but just the situation may be funny. That's a positive. In another sense, when you feel like you've been, oh, mistreated, not physically, but in some psychological way you've been slighted and so on and your feelings are hurt. One way that makes me laugh for for anyone who would do it is to immediately get on the phone and return insult with insult, but I would say this should never be done. Uh, It's something that one should speculate about and uh, think if I call this person and tell them off, so to speak, obviously it won't make you feel better and it won't make the other person feel better. So let it rest for a bit and come back to it a bit later with a different perspective. Though so I would say that's something that's helpful. At least it is to me. Well,
0: I'm pleased that we've had this conversation. And before we close, Mother, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately?
1: Well, the book is a story, it's a true story, of a family traveling from the east going to, to the west coast. And they were attacked by Indians, and the parents were killed, and two daughters were taken by the Mojave Indians. The older daughter did live with the Indians for about four years, and obviously the Mojave Indians were very kind to her, and she related to them. Subsequently, some white travelers were aware that there was a, a young Indian girl, who by this time was about 17. The younger sister had passed away because she wasn't well, and they rescued the older daughter. She retained a love for the Mojaves. It was an interesting book from the psychological aspect of she had lost her own parents and was transferred into a totally different culture, and was able to adapt.
0: Well, mother, I'm honored. I'm honored to be your son, and I'm honored to have you on Radio Curious, Lillian Brown Vogel, author of What's My Secret, Memories and Reflections on a Long Life. And my dear mother, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a, indeed been a pleasure.
0: On September ninth, 2014, my mother and I met for lunch at her home to review the plans for her upcoming one hundred and fifth birthday celebration on September eleventh. When I explained that Radio Curious would feature our two thousand and nine conversation, which you just heard, she offered to read the poem from the conclusion of her book, "What's My Secret?"
1: My enlightenment. Days roll on, and soon the years. My own little world full of wonder and joy. Anger about unhappy events. What lies ahead? Thrust into sadness at times, so severe that the joys of life are no longer here. To believe that to start again can never occur. And then the light. It can occur to go on again as a part of this wonderful earth with its scientific advances, the sounds of music, the laughter of children, the beauties of nature, and its reflection in art. Can all this crowd out ghastly sights of people at war? Can I bury my head? Or see only beauty, closing my eyes to the cruelties of mankind as we destroy each other and this amazing earth? Yes, I must do both. To believe we are here for reasons unbeknownst, yet for love and happiness of all. So my remaining years on this wonderful earth shall be wholeheartedly treasured as I enjoy the wonders and fight injustice. All this concomitantly.
0: Are there any other thoughts that you would like to say, less than 48 hours before you're 105 years old?
1: I would say how wonderful these almost 20 years have been living in Ukiah. I have to say that I love you, Kaya. I have met wonderful people, all of you included, and I have derived great satisfaction. Not enough to satisfy me, though. I don't feel that I've done enough with my life, so I have lots of, should I say, sad feelings that I could have done more if I had more organized ambition. All right, so where do I go now?
0: Where would you like to go if you could go anywhere in the whole
1: world or the whole universe? On my chair and take a snooze.
0: This program was presented in honor of my mother, Lillian Brown Vogel, whose 39,549 days of vibrant life finally caught up with her on December 29, 2017. A few days before she died at the age of 108 years in her home here in Ukiah, California, she asked a dear friend who was one of her many beloved caregivers, will you be okay when I'm on my merry way? The book Lillian Brown Vogel recommended in 2009 is The Black Tattoo, the Life of Olive Oatman by Margot Mifflin. Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The phone is 707 462 6541. Christina Anastad is the assistant producer, and I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.